beloved, Christ is ours forevermore. Amen? If you have your Bibles with you, if you'd open up while you're standing to, to Ruth chapter 1. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Judges, Joshua, Judges, and then Ruth. Ruth chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name, the name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, and you have, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and, bear, and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do, do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. 
So reads God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is living and active, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword, that it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We pray, O oh God, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us through your word and that your spirit would help us focus on your word as he teaches us your truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated, church. Well, if you're new to this whole thing about living life, let me give you a spoiler alert. Life is hard. All right, some of you already knew that. Some of you have figured out the longer that we live, that the more problems that we end up facing. They never seem to go away. Many of you know what I'm talking about, right? Some of you, maybe that season hasn't come upon you yet. But many of you are very well aware of it. You know, something doesn't pan out the way that you had planned. Or there is an abrupt turn in the road that catches you by surprise. Real life problems hit us square on like a Mack truck. Think about the death of a loved one. A, a marriage that is torn in two. A debilitating illness. A loss of a job. Financial ruin. And I can go on and on. But there is heartache and there's agony and the pain is real. Suffering is real. Sorrow is real. Grief is real. And so then the question is, why so much trouble? I mean, doesn't God care? Have you ever found yourself asking that question? as you go through troubles in life, doesn't God care? Life's hard. And at times it seems as though God doesn't care. This morning we're going to start a short four-sermon series through the book of Ruth called The Providence of God, this morning being part one, as we look at how the providence of God relates to our troubles when I speak of troubles, I'm talking about what I'm going through. I'm talking about the pains that I'm struggling with, the sufferings that I'm bearing. Does God care about these troubles? I mean, don't you want to know? Does God care when you're going through difficulties? We're going to find hope to this question as we look to this opening chapter of Ruth. And before we jump into the text together this morning, it's interesting to note that in all of Scripture, only two books are named after women, Esther and Ruth. I should have asked you the question first, <laughs> seeing who had the answer, throwing it out there. Esther and Ruth. All right, then let me ask you this. What's special about Ruth? Not an Israelite. It, she's the only woman who is not an Israelite. Now, she's not actually the author of this book, but it's titled after her. And not only was she not an Israelite, but she is a Moabitess. See how many of you know your Old Testament history? What do you know about Moab? 
She's from the land of Moab, a pagan country that continued to attack Israel, a land and people that God had cursed because Moab began from an incestuous relationship between Abraham's brother Lot and his oldest daughter. Y'all remember that? You want to talk about troubles. We're diving into something deep here. The book of Ruth begins from the onset with troubles. There, there are troubles in the land. We read in the very opening verse of Ruth that it occurred in the days when the judges ruled. Now we know time, the history of this, between 1375 and 1050 B.C. And during this time, it was a low point spiritually and morally for Israel. You know, there's something to be said about the connection between those two things. Spiritual compromise often leads to moral compromise. Moral compromise often leads to spiritual compromise. This was a time in Israel's history when everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's exactly how the book of Judges ends. If you look just to the left of Ruth chapter 1, the last verse in Judges, you'll see in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, we read, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, the, the biggest trouble that was going on in the land is that Israel was sick spiritually. People were turning from the one true God and trusting in a man-made God that they found more satisfying and more comfortable. Even the spiritual leaders in the land had turned from following the Lord. They too chased after power and prestige and pleasure. We're talking about dark days. This was a dark time. Judges 19 even records a Levite. This is a priest of the Lord who takes for himself a concubine as a wife. A priest. And the story doesn't end there. It becomes even more tragic as we read in Judges 19. That on his journey home, a mob of men tried to rape him. And to try to appease them, he throws out his concubine to have them abuse her. And they do that, and she dies. This man was a priest. I mean, we're talking about really bad times. Immorality and lawlessness ruled the day. God was no longer visible on the moral radar the lives of God's people were no longer any different than the lives of their pagan neighbors. Israel at this time was a moral cesspool. I want to stop and pause because we live in the present, right? Does it sound much different than the present? It sounds like this could have been written today. It's so relevant. Everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. Troubles fill our land just like it filled their land. 
Looking back to the book of Ruth, look again with me at the opening verse in verse 1. We see that the troubles didn't end with the people's moral and spiritual decay. The very next thing we read in verse 1 is that there was a famine in the land. God had brought judgment upon his people as they rebelled against him. And they now faced a famine. And while we're not familiar with a famine, it is a time of severe crisis. For some of us, we skip a meal and think we're starving. All right, I've said that before. That is not what it's like to face a famine. It wasn't like going without dinner. It was a time that you didn't know if there would be a next meal. It was not when it was coming, it was if it would come. It is a time of famine. And in the ancient world, they dealt with starvation due to famine. It was an all too real possibility for those who lived then. The setting of Ruth begins at such a time. And they're in the city of Bethlehem, which by the way means house of bread. And the setting is now in a place where there is no bread. This is how this begins. There is chaos. There is rebellion. And there is hunger all around. The common thought would have been, surely it cannot get any worse than this. And we're introduced in the opening lines of Ruth to a man named Elimelech, which means my God is king. Here is a man, he is a, a married man. He has two sons, he's living during these dark days. And now he is also facing a famine. A famine that can kill him, a famine that can kill his wife, and a famine that can kill his kids. So the question I ask of the text is, what should he do? I like some of you offering some answers. Many of you look at me like, tell us, what should he do? What should he do? I heard some of you say, pray, ask for help. Some of you might say, just go find some food. <laughs> go do something. Well, what do you do when you face troubles? Verse 1 tells us what Elimelech did. He packed up the family's bags, and they went seeking for food. What was the problem? No food. And he went seeking for food. You know what we do not notice in the opening verse is that this man, Elimelech, there's no mention of prayer. There's no mention of asking God for help. There's no mention of asking for God's direction. Elimelech did what everybody else was doing. He did what was wise in his own eyes. Now, you ready? Wag your finger at him. Shame on you. But how often do we do the same thing? When we see in Scripture that someone did what was wise in their own eyes, it is always recorded as a bad move. We never see, hey, great job. It always turns out bad. A fool does what is wise in his own eyes. And so Elimelech, we start out in the book of Ruth, 
unwisely relocates his family to Moab. And maybe you're thinking, well, what's so unwise about going to Moab? I mean, he was simply looking for food for his family. Well, if we know the history of Moab, it was for 18 years during the days of Judges that Moab oppressed Israel. Moab was Israel's enemy. Not only that, but Moab, they worshipped a pagan god, Chemosh, a god who required the sacrifice of children as a burnt offering of worship. This is the land that Elimelech runs to. The question is, how could an Israelite, one of God's chosen people, seek refuge in the camp of the enemy, in the camp of idol worshipers? And the answer, Elimelech simply wasn't focused on God. He was focused on his own troubles. And he was doing what was wise in his own eyes. But plain and simple, running to the enemy and to the enemy's God is sin. And this is how the story begins. Elimelech bails and goes to the enemy territory. He disregards the one true God and went headlong into trusting anyone and anything that was able to provide for his troubles. This, my friends, is the result of unbelief. Going to Moab, disregard God's direction. It welcomed God's discipline upon him and his family. We read in verse 3, if you look at your Bible, in verse 3, that after some time in Moab, Elimelech died leaving his wife, Naomi, and his two sons, Malon and Kilion, to fend for themselves. And perhaps understanding that the meaning of their names helps us understand the story a little bit more and their future as well. The name Malon means sickly, and the name Kilion means wasting away. Now, I've heard some strange names and have questioned sometimes the names people call their children, but sickly and wasting away. Meet my kids. These are them. Naomi's name, however, means pleasant one. This is Naomi, the pleasant one. But regardless of the meanings of all their names, their troubles had gone, obviously, from bad to worse. Elimelech has died. They're now in a foreign land, living amongst the enemy, and Elimelech is dead. Naomi is widowed. Malan and Kilion are fatherless. But following their father's example of compromise, the two sons marry Moabite women, which is clearly forbidden by God. And the consequences of Elimelech's sins are about to weigh even more on Naomi. We read in the story that after 10 years of being in Moab, Both of her sons die, leaving Naomi husbandless and childless in a godless land. This is where she finds herself. Lomelech died all of a sudden. That's tragic. The death of a a spouse or a loved one is, is tragic. But imagine being in a foreign land with foreign people. That even compounds how grave the situation is. The question again I ask is, where was God? Did did he care? 
we know from the text that God was working behind the scenes, that God was active. He was orchestrating and maneuvering everything for his people's good and for his glory. But it sure didn't feel that way for Naomi. She lost her husband, and then she lost her children. She could think, surely God doesn't care about me, right? I mean, they were a family facing famine, and they fled to the enemy's camp, and now death has come upon them. Could God possibly be at work at a time like this? Some would ask if God is so loving, why doesn't he do something? And perhaps you've had the same thought at some point in your life. The glimmer of hope that we get for Naomi, as we see in verse 6, is that she hears that the famine back home was over and the Lord had visited his people and given them food. God was still active during all this time. By the way, in this book, this is the first reference to God. And although he does not get a lot of attention directly in the text, he does get all of the attention behind the text. That he is the one working behind the scenes. You see, the providence of God is the working of God's sovereignty to continually uphold, guide, and care for his creation and though Naomi doesn't feel it now, she will experience God's goodness. Those of you that did your homework and read all of Ruth, you know it began of a time of sorrow, but it ends of a time of joy. Oh, that's a real spoiler in case you didn't read it. But she doesn't feel it now. We see beginning in verse 7 that Naomi's daughters-in-law, they prepare to go, go with her back to her land in Judah. But Naomi encourages them to return to their mother's house where they would be taken care of, where they would be provided for, and where they would have the opportunity to be remarried. Even in her despair, Naomi knows God is in control and gives a blessing to the girls. Look at verses 8 and 9 with me. Here's the blessing that she gives. She says in verse 8, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. And then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Obviously, Naomi's circumstances are less than desirable, but she still knows God's goodness. She knows that God deals kindly. This word comes from the Hebrew word hesed. It is a loyal love. It's a faithful kindness. It's God's character. She knows that God would bless even these Moabite girls. And although she knows that God is faithful and is loyal in his kindness, Naomi struggles to see God extending that to her. How many times are we able to give good counsel to others and have a hard time ourselves believing it and living by it? She's giving the counsel she understands it. She understands God's character, but she's just not feeling it. You know, feelings are, are real, but they're not always right. She's feeling something different. See, in verse 10, the Naomi's daughters-in-law, they commit to staying with Naomi. 
in much the same way that God, behind the scenes, is committed to stay with Naomi. We see God's kindness, his loyal faithfulness, that extended through Orpah and through Ruth. His said, that is his, his loyal and faithful kindness, is given through two foreign women to one Israelite, Naomi. But Naomi dismisses their kindness by showing compassion on them and encouraging them to turn back, to go and find another husband. And she argues that she's too old to bear more sons. And even if she did, would they wait until they were old enough so they could remarry her boys? And then it comes out. Look at verse 13. Naomi expresses her feelings about God. Verse 13, she says, No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Not only did Naomi feel that God didn't care for her, she actually feels that God is against her. Every time that God is against somebody in Scripture, it is against his enemy, always and every time. Naomi says, that's what I feel like. I feel like an enemy of God. And as an enemy of God, she now feels that she is personally responsible for the loss that has come upon Orpah and Ruth. Remember, these are feelings. They're obviously wrong feelings. But they're real. It's the way that she feels. She feels that she has a target on her back and only a fool would want to stay close to her because God has it in for her. And so she encourages them, go home. And in verse 14, they weep together. They had all experienced loss and now the potential loss of even their relationship together. And so we see that Orpah kisses Naomi and heads back to her people, but Ruth has a different response. Ruth, we read, clings to Naomi. In verse 15, look at it in your Bibles, we read, and she, referring to Naomi, said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. As you read that, you say, wait, wait, what? what? She was encouraging they had returned to their people and their gods. Naomi who knows who the one true God is, encourages Ruth to return to her gods along with her sister-in-law. Church, th this is called idolatry. At this point, she's encouraging her in idolatry. In a sense, she felt, well, I guess God doesn't care anyway. So go ahead and turn back to your gods. I mean, he's not helping me at all. I say, Wow. How could anybody get to that point? Church, I want to tell you this, and I'm going to tell you again and again. The Bible makes it clear that our God is faithful. That even in our failures, even in our unfaithfulness, that he is faithful. The Bible tells us he will never leave you nor forsake you. Naomi wasn't abandoned by God, though she felt like it. God was with her, and God's loyal love, his faithful kindness, would be extended to Naomi through her Moabite daughter-in-law, Ruth. And you want to see love? You, you want to see kindness? You want to see God 
at work in the midst of suffering. Look with me at verses 16 and 17. We read, but Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Could there be anything clearer in a declaration of love? In a declaration of commitment? Ruth tells Naomi, I will remain loyal to you no matter what. She says, I am leaving my little lowercase g God and I'm coming to your capital G God. I am turning to the one true God. Your God will be my God. This is kindness. This is extended from Ruth to Naomi. And this is how God's providence works. He uses people that should have no business being used by God. He uses them for his purposes and for his glory. This is a Moabite woman. And she's being used by God to extend God's loving kindness to Naomi. Think about that for a moment. Ruth, it appears from the text, has been drawn to the real God. Gone are the days of worshiping idols. Ruth is now committed to serving the Lord our God. Her conversion reveals that the Lord's salvation goes out to all people, to everyone. His mercy, grace, love, and forgiveness is available to everyone, even a pagan Moabite. For all those who would turn to him. To all those by his grace that he would draw. We read in Romans 10.13 and, and Joel 2.32 that reminds us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ruth now has the one true God. All pagan worship is behind her. And we see in verse 19 that both her and Naomi, they head to Bethlehem. Ruth, at this point she has suffered loss, but she's focused on serving Naomi. She's focused on serving the God of Israel. But Naomi, on the other hand, we see in the text, she's still troubled. She's troubled by her loss, but she's more troubled by the apparent abandonment of her God. And when they arrived to Bethlehem, the women of the town questioned if Naomi, remember the pleasant one, they questioned her. They know, they've known her before, but remember, she's been gone for about 10 years. And she left in search for life. And instead, she experienced death. Life had been tough. It had been cruel. And she shows the wear and tear, not only in appearance as she comes back to town, but also in her attitude. Bitter despair owns her soul. And she doesn't hesitate to say so. Her words to the women in the town are very telling. Look at verses 20 and 21. She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? 
here we see Naomi retorts back at the women in the town on a creative play on her name. Remember, Naomi meaning pleasant one. She says, no, call me Mara, which means bitter one. I'm no longer pleasant. I am now bitter. She's struggling with God's dealings in her life. How could he allow such calamity to come upon her? No husband, no children, and no provision. She's a widow without a provider. There would appear to be no future for her. She feels that though God is trying to utterly destroy her, but even in the midst of that, she understands that God is in control. Though she does not like what he is doing, she shows that he is and says that he is the Almighty, that he is sovereign over all things. She understands that nothing takes place without his doing. Nothing happens by chance. Nothing. Church, there are no coincidences. We have a God who reigns over all. We even read in Proverbs 16.33 that the lot is cast into the lap, but it's very, every decision is from the Lord. Think about that next time you're playing a board game. <laughs> Whether it gives you a little more strength to throw a little harder. Or, I don't know, I play with one of my daughters and it always comes out this way or that way and flies off the board. God is in control of everything. He's directing all things and all things for his people, he's directing them for good, and they're for his glory. But obviously, some of you have experienced, like Naomi has, it doesn't feel that way. But the chapter closes with a sparkle of hope. It had begun with a famine in the land, and it closes with the beginning of the, har or the barley harvest. God had blessed his land, and he had blessed his people once again. God is in control of all things. And so perk up your ears. I, I want you to hear this. The same God who is in control of all things is also the God who brings blessings out of brokenness and joy out of sorrow. This is the same God. Listen to these verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. God is in control of all things. Lamentations 3:37 and 38. Who has spoken and it came to pass, unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? the God who's in control of everything. Isaiah 45, verse 7, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Amos chapter 3, verse 6, Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? He is in control of everything. And beloved, you who are his, all that he works behind the scenes is for your good and for his glory. And just like it was in the life of Naomi, though it didn't feel good at the time, God was working for her good.
We read in Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger is but for a moment, and his favors for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So here's the point. As we open up this opening chapter of Ruth, the point is this. When we fail to see the big picture, the whole picture, or even the one who is painting the picture, we can easily think that God doesn't care. But he surely does care. He is always there. He is always working at all times. He is there in the pain. He's there in the sorrow. He's there in the suffering. He's there in the grief. Beloved, you are never alone. And your suffering is never by chance. Never. Let me close with this thought. A famine in the land. This is how we open up this book. There's a famine in the land. There's three funerals in quick succession. That doesn't seem like a time when God is at work. Pain and suffering do not often communicate to us the love and care of God. But do you remember Isaiah 55, 8? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. From Naomi's perspective, the death of her husband and sons seemed like all was lost. And though the story does not end there, at the time for her it seemed like God didn't care. But I want you to think about this. From that same human perspective, the death of the Son of God on a Roman cross seemed to indicate that all was lost and that God didn't care. But how far from the truth is that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Beloved, God cares. Oh, how he cares. He cares about your troubles. He is for you and not against you. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Before I close in prayer this morning, let's bow our heads and take a minute to quickly reflect on what the Lord has taught us this morning. Father, we come before you corporately. God, we ask that you would forgive us of our times of unbelief the times we have questioned whether you cared. Oh God, forgive us for doubting your loving goodness. As we look to your word, Father, we are in awe that you are a God who is always actively involved in the lives of your people. We praise you for your loyal love, your faithful kindness. We thank you for sustaining us through life's troubles and for being with us every step of the way. We thank you that you are a God who cares about every detail of our lives. A God who welcomes us to cast our cares to him because he cares for us. Help us to cling to you during our troubles, knowing that you are in complete control. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.